0: You're listening to Just Ask the Question, adventures and reporting with your host, Brian Karam.
1: Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. With me today, pleasure to have John Pedori. He's running for Congress in the Colorado 4th District against, guess who? <laughs> Lauren Boebert. So, John, it's a pleasure to have you here. We're going to talk all about your campaign. First, we'll stop to pay the bills, and then we'll be right back Hi, welcome back. It's just asked the question. I am your host Brian Karam. With me is John Pedora, running for Congress from Colorado 4th District. Welcome, John. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. Uh, I I saw that uh, Mark Hamill donated to your your to the cause. So yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that that's that says something. Uh, it, you was...
2: it, yeah, it does. We we've, we've had quite a few celebrities uh so far. Mark Hamill was the first one that started. Um we saw Ryan Reynolds Name pop up on there, and quite a few other actresses and comedians. And the irony about all of that is, it was kind of in response to one of Bobert's tweets. She put out, you know, saying, "Oh well, Ryan Reynolds and all these Hollywood elitists—they're—they're they're the reason that I'm being run out of my congressional district." So then, a couple of people tagged my campaign on there and said, "Hey, do you want to support her new opponent?" And you know, they kind of started to line up
1: behind that. So we, we found a pretty good sense of irony there. So you're—you're you, you're running against Lauren and. Look, I, I I gotta tell you, you know, having covered politics for a while, that even if she's popular in the Republican Party, uh, people who's changed districts to get elected are often labeled carpetbaggers. So, um, you know, basically shopping around for the easiest place to uh, to get elected. What is this going to be an easy stop for her? Is she going to be able to pick up that seat, or can you mount a, a serious campaign?
2: So traditionally, the Colorado's fourth congressional district is Colorado's uh, most Republican district. It's an R-plus-13 district, which is rated on the Cook-PBI scale. Um, but typically, Democratic candidates have lost by a, a much larger margin than that. Um, the district's made up of, I think, 46 to 47% unaffiliated voters. She definitely is looking at the Republican data here and the historical trends, and she's seeing that Ken Buck cruised into victory his last couple elections. I think she's going to find that the the fourth district is quite a bit different than the third congressional district, and she would know that if she spent any time here. Um, I can tell you that we are going to be able to mount a formidable campaign against her. We're going to out-fundraise her. We're going to outwork her on the ground, and we're going to really give folks a, a realistic alternative. So I think that she's mistaken to think that this is going to be an easy pick for her. She has a tough primary to get through, and then she has some really, a really difficult uh, task to kind of overcome some of the voters in our district that are going to feel very negatively about her.
1: And why is that? When you talk to voters, what's their biggest negative take on on Boebert?
2: So e- even my Republican and unaffiliated friends, they're just so disenfranchised by her reality TV performance and theatrics. Like people at the end of the day are struggling to afford housing. They're struggling to afford health care. People want kitchen table politics. People don't want whatever we have going on, this MAGA extremism. And I think that that's just not going to be a winning message here. It might be within the primary, you know, if you're trying to pander and appeal to the most hard hard right conservatives in the district, sure, she's going to do great. But I think that there's a lot of moderate and centrist folks here in the district that she's writing off. And even a lot of rural folks like in my community that have kind of shifted away from the Republican party the last few years.
1: Why is that?
2: I think it's a little bit of a, a performance like i i've talked to quite a few folks this year i mean more than i can name that said hey i was a lifetime registered republican i'm a colorado conservative i believe in you know traditional families and x y and z kind of the whole pitch but they don't see anything being done they they refuse to compromise on a border deal because you know they don't want to give credit to the democrats there's no bipartisanship and outside of that they can't even pass legislation through their own conference so i think people are just all in all feeling a little fatigued and disenfranchised
1: What's your biggest problem with Lauren? Uh,
2: my or biggest Congressman,
1: problem is Congresswoman Boebert?
2: Yeah. So, um, her and I are both millennials. Uh, so I expect that bar to be held much higher than it is. We millennials have minimal representation in US Congress, and I couldn't wait for the day when I started to see folks my age get elected. My biggest deal with her is we elected. We, we elected her. We elected somebody who's done nothing. She's passed no significant legislation. She's a toxic, vile person. I mean, just look at her personal record, her criminal record, the way that she communicates to people. She disenfranchises everybody, marginalized communities. She's mean, she's nasty, and she doesn't represent our
1: generation well at all. How do you think that, uh, well, how, how would you, well, let me step back a second. How would you qualify yourself? Would you call yourself, a moderate, a liberal, uh, a conservative? So I I don't like to get too
2: fixated on labels, but I, I typically tell people that I'm a progressive Democrat or an unconventional Democrat. And the reason that I say that is because I grew up in the rural expanses of America my entire life. Um, growing up, my whole family leaned independent or you know, my grandfather and grandparents, they, they were hardcore Republican, old-school old conservative. But I tell people that I don't like I don't like the terminology liberal. I don't like when people hear progressive and they say, oh, you know, John might be too progressive for this district. All I mean with that is I'm a very centrist, middle of the ground type of person. But I believe that too much in politics, we look backwards instead of forward. We need progress. We need progress on health care, on affordable housing, increasing the minimum wage, uh, you know, climate change mitigation through green energy investments. Just common sense approaches, common sense gun safety. We, we don't need to roll things backwards. So that's typically how I define myself. Roe v. Wade, uh, how would you stand there? Yeah, I mean, I don't believe that any politician has the right to tell any woman, not not my wife, my daughter, my neighbors, anybody, what they can and cannot do with their own bodies. And if I'm elected, I will fight pretty hard to advocate to codify Roe v. Wade and make, you know, here in Colorado, we're pretty well protected. But I feel that we still have a duty to protect these other states that are vulnerable in red states that are just completely rolling back women's rights. Immigration. Yeah, immigration. So I'm actually getting ready over the next couple of months to take a trip to Eagle County, Texas to, to do my Eagle first pass. Ever tour. Yep. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that because I feel that there's so much media bias and misinformation around the immigration crisis. So I'm looking forward to have an opportunity to kind of see everything firsthand and create my own independent perspective on it. I, I acknowledge that we have a porous border. There's quite a few issues that we need to fix there, that there's human trafficking, that there's drug smuggling. Um, but what we need to do is offer these folks an easier path to immigration. You know, we need we need to they just want their slice of the American dream. My, my grandparents came over from Italy in the mid-1900s. They got on a boat with all of their all of their belongings and they hopped off at Ellis Island and they signed their name onto a paper and they got their temperature taken and walked off and they were, you know, legal immigrants. So I think the the barriers and, and hurdles that we make these folks jump through today, when they're just fleeing their country to protect their family, we, we don't talk enough about their contribution to our economy. And I just think that we need some actual bipartisanship on this issue. We need adults to sit down in the room and finally come up with solutions.
1: Well, I, I you're speaking to the choir there. I worked on the border for many years. I'll give you a, a heads up on read Smedley Butler. Uh uh-huh. Have you ever, you know who he is? Yes, I do. Marine Corps, uh, second uh, highest ranking, most decorated, second most decorated Marine Corps general who wrote a book called War is a Racket. And that goes back 100 years. Look, they don't want to solve the problem. They want to, the Republicans want to campaign on the problem. Exactly. And they have never solved it. it, We've had problems recently on the border for the last 50 years since the uh, Mexican uh, oil economy crashed in the 70s um it's but anybody who says they can build a wall for 1950 miles is obviously a never been to the the border or b are delusionally insane because or they're both. or both <laughs> cuz there's portions of that border like the you know the big bend area of texas it's like the grand canyon in the 90s i worked for a show called america's most wanted and i did a couple of standups when we were i was in a tunnel underneath san diego that was Probably two lanes wide, and they were moving traffic. So you know, and and thousands of dollars every minute, and thousands of illegal immigrants. And that you know, you're not going to solve it by building a wall. They'll go under it, or they'll put a you know ladder on and get over it. It's the proposal of um, that actually Reagan put together with the Democrats in the early 80s, giving them a pathway to citizenship. Was probably the best way to do it, and I'm no Ronald Reagan fan. But you also you hit a really good point there. Common sense solutions, bipartisanship. We don't see much of that in D.C. So, my rant aside, how would you how would you build bipartisanship? What would you do?
2: So <clears throat> that's a it's a tough battle because some folks, even if you have good ideas, when you're on the other side of the aisle or the political spectrum, they don't want to work with you because they don't want to give your party any recognition. So I, I kind of have this ability, which is why I think I'm a great candidate for for the fourth congressional district, because I have a good ability to to message and network with folks that are conservative. So I would show up in Washington and I would, I'm I'm a very observant individual. So I would just observe for my first couple months and kind of put out feelers and see who who was willing to compromise on things. And I would just start by, you know, asking for friendly meetings with people and you know, sending out memos to try to build some bipartisan support. But um, I I think where I would be successful is if if I'm elected to Congress, I'm going to be elected in one of the most conservative, I'll be a Democrat serving in one of the most conservative districts in America. So I have a a, a unique situation and I just need to make sure that I cast myself and I constantly maintain independence from party leadership. And that's something that I'm willing to do. And I think that some folks on the conservative uh, spectrum would be a little more receptive to that.
1: What's the first bill you would introduce as a congressman? Oh my gosh, that is such a tough question.
2: I probably have a couple answers in my head that I thought of before, and none of them are coming to me. Day one, first bill I would like to introduce, I I think I would like to be a part of either a separate farm bill or a a completely revamped farm bill where we pull a lot of the subsidies that we give to the corporate agricultural industry. And we give to our family owned farmers and ranchers, because I've spent the year chatting with folks from all over Colorado and all of the family owned farms and and ranchers that I speak with, they're being stamped out of existence. And they've spoken with me about how the farm bill favors, you know, the wealthy corporations and not the not the little guys. And that's something that I really believe in. I'm, I'm the grandson of a farmer. I grew up with my grandfather, who was a Hey, an alfalfa farmer and a, a dairy farmer prior to that. And, and I've watched the work that these folks have put in there. And I've watched farm bill after farm bill after farm bill come out. And it just leaves them behind. So I think that that to me right now is one of the most important.
1: There are parts of Colorado that are, I mean, I've seen miles and miles on my travels in the last few years, just abandoned. Small communities shrinking, uh, family farms abandoned. There are large tracts of land in, in Kansas, western Kansas, eastern Colorado that are just uninhabited, sure. except for large machinery and and the workers that work for the corporate farms. Is that the case where you are?
2: Hey, um, so not exactly where I am. I'm, I'm about 20 minutes east of Fort Collins, so I, I kind of huh. live in the last rural expanse. If you look to the east, it's, it's vast farmlands. If you look to the west, we're dealing with suburban sprawl that's basically blending into Fort Collins. But um, you you mentioned the blight, I've driven all over Eastern Colorado, and you're you're right, it's everywhere. And that's another thing, these folks in rural communities, especially in Colorado, have been overlooked by both political parties for generations. So tying into my my bill on day one would also be to help resuscitate some of these communities. And I think we can do that by rebuilding the manufacturing sector in our rural communities, by bringing federal funds in to uh, rebuild bridges and roads and other type of infrastructure, there are so many folks on the Eastern Plains that don't even have clean drinking water. These towns can't afford the water treatment uh, facilities that they need. So we need to bring federal funds in to actually build these rural communities and, and revamp them and revive them and kind of rebuild the American dream at the same time.
1: Last question before we go to break. What do you think is the greatest accomplishment of the current presidential administration? What do you think its its greatest failure? Greatest accomplishment has probably been... The, the most two
2: significant pieces of legislation are the um, bipartisan infrastructure bill. I think that one was a huge start and the Chips and Science Act. As someone who's worked in the manufacturing sector for the last 15 years, uh, reshoring domestic manufacturing in America is how we rebuild our country. Um, I think that the one of the greatest failures has just been, I don't know if it's so much linked to, to the president as much as the overall performance of the Democratic Party. There was quite a progressive agenda in the first two years that we tried to advance and we were crippled by mansion and cinema and some of these other obstacles within the Democratic party um, the student loan forgiveness is a huge thing Biden promised that student loan forgiveness and the Supreme Court struck him down but I still believe that there's other uh, metrics that he can take to forgive student debt they're constantly putting out memos that they're forgiven billions of dollars in selective student loans and not it not the young people want to stand up and cheer for that because People like my wife and I who are in six-figure student debt, we haven't seen any relief. A lot of folks I've talked to haven't seen any relief. So I just feel he could do more in that regard
1: because I'm worried that he's bleeding a lot of the young activists that got him elected in 2020. And on that thought, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the the overcoming the magma, the, the magma, the maggot <laughs> stigma in rural America. Stick around. We'll be right back
0: hey just ask the question podcast listeners if you've got a second head on over to twitter and follow our official page j-a-t-q podcast that's j-a-t-q podcast in this modern age of misinformation and deceit Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q (laughs) podcast.
1: Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Karaman. With me is John Padora, who's running for Congress, Colorado 4th District. And John, what part of the boot are you from?
2: My family is almost primarily all from uh, Palermo in Sicily. We we did an ancestry test and we were able to trace everything back to about the 1400s. We have some great, great grandparents that came from uh, Greek and Albania. But primarily, my family has been in southern Italy since about the
1: 1300s. Ah, it was a pump. You never could have a <laughs> <You> know. Let's.
2: <laughs> that, that, I love Sicily. Have you been? I have not, oh, but we have every intent to go.
1: I I, I love it.
2: But I anyway, had let's... some relatives reach out to us over the last couple of years and and kind of track us down. So I think we'll we'll take them you up gotta on go, that. Go, you gotta
1: go, you gotta go. <laughs> but before you go, let's talk a little bit about the problems you're going to have overcoming. Do you think? It's uh, Donald Trump and and MAGA is as inevitable as they claim, especially in Colorado. That's going to be one of the, I mean, that's a battleground state coming up.
2: I think that. The Republican Party is no longer the Republican Party. I think the Republican Party needs to split into into two sects because the the future is MAGA-dominated. I mean, they're just driving out anybody. You look at the Mitt Romneys, the Ken Bucks, the Liz Cheneys, the people that are kind of those old-school conservative types that we can disagree with on almost every policy that they put forth over the years. But at the end of the day, we look at them and we we can respect them a little more than, you know, Jim Jordan, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert. But I think the constant message is that as soon as you're bipartisan, as soon as you give a Democrat the time of day, as soon as you actually want to advocate for the American people, you're labeled a rhino. And I think that uh, the Republican Party is dominated by uh, Donald Trump, and I don't see that changing much.
1: Do you see him being successful in the fall?
2: No, I don't see him being successful in the fall. A lot of people have asked me about this. I I was on the ground. Um, I still live in Pennsylvania in 2020. But I was on the ground in Pennsylvania, um, and I worked I worked a political campaign, and we were out in the streets and talking to folks all over the state. I knew from my conversations at the door with tens of thousands of folks that, that we were going to win Pennsylvania, that Biden was going to be successful, and that Trump was going to lose. I've watched him cozy up to these dictator-like comments. I've watched him embrace fascism, drift further right rather than moderating himself at all he's bled support. He's not gaining support. Uh, this isn't just going to be a referendum against Joe Biden and Donald Trump. This is going to be a battle for our democracy, a fight for our future, for our children. And I think that there are plenty of folks, especially the folks under 40 years old, who are just going to reject that type of extremism, even if they're not fully aligned with the Democratic Party. There's enough people that are going to go out this year and say, no, th- this is not what our future looks like. I think if he would have moderated himself a little bit, I think if he would have, drifted back to some sense of normalcy i know that sounds funny to even hear but i think he would have had a better chance especially with the the way that the economy was trending and the um our foreign policy issues and things but i i don't see him gaining any more support
1: how do you well um so you, you with that being said and you see him losing in in the fall does that bode well for you
2: i don't i think there's an intersection but i'm not really sure if they're dependent upon each other um I feel that our race with the the national attention on it now is going to be front and center for a lot of folks where it's usually not. A lot of folks, if they go out and they're voting for Donald Trump, they're going to you know, click Ken Buck's name down there, whoever the next Republican is. This year, I think there's quite a bit of contrast that's going to be brought between the presidential candidate and the congressional candidate. Um, and I'll be interested to see how that pans out. But like I said, we've been on the ground since May of 2023. I actually started a little bit uh, before then. I prioritized getting out into these Eastern Plains and, and rural communities that are often overlooked. I've sat down with Republicans. I've sat down with unaffiliated voters. Um, it'll be really interesting to see which direction it goes.
1: You had mentioned Buck, and, and Bobert is shopping around for a place to go. Do you think Bobert will even get out of the Republican primary? So
2: I, I side with yes. A lot of folks in the Democratic Party and a lot of folks that I've talked to in the middle think that that's not going to be the case. They say, well, there's you know all these other more deeply rooted, well known in the Eastern Plains communities or Douglas County, you know, kind of old school conservatives that are running that are, are better positioned that don't look like carpetbaggers. But I, I think people are writing her off. I she's raised, she has 1.4 million dollars in the bank. The day that she moved into our district, she's going to raise millions more. The, the House GOP conference is treating her candidacy as an incumbency, meaning that they're going to fund her during the primary right. and not fund these other folks. She has the name recognition. She has three plus million followers on Twitter. I think she's much more positioned to win this primary. And we also have to remember that the folks that are voting in the primary, we have open primaries in Colorado, but most of the folks that are going to turn out to vote for the Republican Party are the hardcore MAGA conservatives and she does well within that base. I don't think I think. <laughs> yeah, I I don't even think that they're going to look at her as a carpet bagger. So so many people I've heard out there just sexualize her and they're like, "Yep, you know, she she'll be our next candidate." So uh, I'm curious to see how it goes, but I side that she's going to be the nominee. You think she'd debate you? I know she'll debate me. Really? I do. Yeah. I, I I'm just confident because We'll continually reach out to her. We'll, we'll hold her on a, a high platform. Uh, she thinks that this is a safe Republican district. I think she's going to start paying attention to our fundraising videos. Stay tuned. Uh, next week, we've got something big in the works that is going to grab her attention. So I think we're, we're doing all the right things to position ourselves as the front runner in this race. And after I win the nomination, I think she's going to start to feel the heat a
1: little bit. What would you say to her if she were sitting in front of you right now? I'd tell her to go home. Don't run <laughs> for this seat. You don't, you don't know our neighbors. You don't know
2: our communities. You don't represent, um, the hardworking families in Colorado. And we've had enough of your, your toxic extremism head on back to the Western slope.
1: And <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and go down the bunny slope at that. Do that. So here's my, other, here's my other question for you. Give me your two minute pitch for the, for this, for this, uh, uh for your race. What do you tell people in your two minute pitch?
2: I, I tell people, um, my name's John Fedora. I'm a husband. I'm a father to three incredible children. I live in Severance, Colorado. I'm a manufacturing engineer for over 15 years. I'm a dual degree environmental scientist. I'm a progressive political activist. I care about my community. I'm an unconventional Democrat. I've spent my entire life in the rural expanses of America I've seen how both major political parties have abandoned rural folks decade after decade after decade. And I'm running, not, to, not for self-enrichment, I'm running because I genuinely care about my children's future, because I pay attention to the planet burning. I pay attention to the toxic antics in Washington. I know how incredibly divisive everything is, how it's completely broken, how it's not working for average families. I know our communities. I know our struggles. I know what it's like to... To count change, to get to the end of the week, to fill your gas tank up, to worry about which bills you're going to pay for, how you're going to put food on your table for your kids. I know the pain of losing a a father at a young age and watching him get sick and suffer. I just know people's struggles, and I can connect with so many folks, whether it's the farmers in rural Colorado or the more white collar workers in uh, Douglas County, which is a wealthier county. I can bridge this divide. I can get out into the into the streets and and do the work that people have refused to do so in the past. And that's why I think I'm the best candidate for this job.
1: And when you talk to uh, the first time you would disagree with Democratic leadership and vote different from what the leadership wants you to vote, what would you tell them? I would
2: tell people that I'm uh, a representative to my constituents first and a Democrat
1: second. And are you a Democrat before you're an American? No, I'm an American before I'm a Democrat. I I will I will never elevate
2: um, party politics above my own morality and what I believe is right for
1: the country. Where do you think you would differ with uh, the Democratic uh, plank? I I don't see a whole whole lot of differences. I just like one of the
2: things that I do differ on, and I and I do get some pushback sometimes is my gun policy. So I am also good. a uh, yeah I'm also a, a part time adjunct instructor. Um, I teach machining and manufacturing of firearms to active duty folks, veterans, um, police officers, and we focus primarily on you know safe firearm operation, disassembly, and everything like that. I am not a Democrat who's supporting an assault weapon ban, and I never will. Um, and that's primarily because, like I said, growing up in these rural communities my whole life, I've been around folks that have AR-15s, that have high-capacity rifles, and I've never seen 99.9% of those folks ever harm another individual. Um, we can enact common-sense gun legislation that doesn't scare people. When people yeah. hear, oh, just like uh, National Safe Storage Act, um, expanded background checks with you know enhanced psychological screening, raising the purchase age of all firearms to 21 years old, uh, putting waiting periods on firearms, making people pass uh, mandatory firearm safety courses before they ever can purchase a firearm, just common-sense things to keep people safe.
1: Yeah. I'm going to recommend that. And I tell this to everyone I talk to, whether you are in office or running for office, the first thing to do, and this is just from my point of view and from covering it for years, you can't talk about additional laws unless you fund the ones already on the books. And the ATF is underfunded. They cannot even get out and inspect all the gun shops in a timely fashion that exist. And so the skirting of the existing laws is so it's already a travesty and no one ever tra- teaches. So, so see that I, I kind of differ from, <laughs> from that, that plank as well. You've got to teach firearm safety and enforce the laws that are already on the books before you even want to talk about anything else, because the rest it, of it doesn't make any sense. It's all You want to, you want to ban assault weapons? You want that? Sure. Where's the money for it? And there is none. So it, it it's a silly it it's a silly argument to me it's like well we're gonna ban you know we're gonna ban blue jeans oh yeah well that's nice how are you gonna enforce that where's the money for it that it, it you you don't have it so it, it, teaching people common sense and and that's the one thing that you know gun safety laws storage all of that stuff comes first but absolutely I, I just offer that to you as, a, as no that's a
2: great point I mean you, you're right there's I think when people see constant influx of additional laws and they already see laws on the books that aren't working how they were intended to, people lose their faith in government. And I think yep. part of our job is to restore that faith in the American people that look, the adults are
1: back in the room. We can actually legislate and make a difference. And then we're going to take another short break and we come back, I'd like to finish up with that. So hold that thought about where you, what, what do you think is common sense government? What, what would you like to see change? So stick around. We'll be right back.
0: Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve.
1: Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question, and I am your host, Brian Carman With me is John Padora, a Democrat for Congress in the 4th District of Colorado, who has uh, gotten a... a some good people to to donate money to you so far for your campaign. And I'd like to take it up and, and finish with, what do you think, what do you want to see when you say common sense government? What do you want to see out of our government to restore faith and trust in the government going forward?
2: A little bit of everything. I think we can start by creating a fair tax system in America where working families aren't shelling out most of the tax burden. Um, I would like to see the the corporate tax raised or at least reinstated to what it was prior to Trump's tax cuts that created a massive deficit in 2016. I'd like to see us actually address our immigration issues. I'd like to see us actually advocate for single-payer healthcare system or some type of affordable healthcare system in America. I'd like to create a, help create a country where pe- people can earn a dignified wage if they're working a full-time job, that they can afford rent, that they can afford their groceries, childcare, things like that. I just think that we need to restore this like I call them kitchen table politics. People want to make sure that they have enough money in their bank accounts. They want to be educated. They want to send their kids to you know a good school. They want a nice job and they want a, a dignified life. And I think that that's all people really want at the end of the day.
1: When I talk to MAGA uh, members and people who will vote conservative, extremely conservative, I don't hear much difference in what you're saying and what some of them say. Like I, I remember talking to a guy recently. He said, "I just want it the way it was." back in the 50s. And I go, well, what do you mean by that? Because that has racial connotation, racist connotations to me. And he said, well, he goes, I don't care if it's a a man or a woman, but back in the 50s, one person in the household had to work uh, in order for you to pay for everything. And you could send your kids to school and send your kids to college. And he goes, now both parents are working and you have to have a side hustle often to, to make ends meet. And on that when when you break it down I hear the complaints from from those who are afraid and vote Trump because what they hear out of his mouth is what they are saying that they fear but you follow me so I I, I, totally. I what I don't understand is the the disengagement it it seems like it's all divisive and it's all trigger words build wall bad people this that um how would you reach those who may agree with you in spirit, but will disagree with you vehemently because you're a Democrat.
2: Yeah, I I think that the one thing we have to give Donald Trump credit for is he played into the populist movement here in America. He, He recognized the discontent that people have with establishment politics over the last couple decades, and he was able to capture a lot of the independent voters in 2016. that that kind of recognize that government is run by a group of elitists that don't really care about the general needs of the American people and don't really know what it's like. The the tragedy is that a billionaire convinced average everyday folks that he actually cared about them. Um, I I refer to myself as a progressive populist. I am a progressive democratic populist. I feel that same type of discontent with my government, with the elitists that have dominated our, our life for years. I think by getting out in front of these folks, first of all, showing up in the communities, standing up in front of them, shaking their hands, talking with them about what we agree on rather than what we disagree on, I think I can dispel a lot of the uh, cultural wars and a lot of the kind of propaganda that gets injected into the conversation. I Anytime I, I speak with conservative group of folks, I always start out by saying that, look, let's list a couple of things that we all agree on. Let's talk three to five things we agree on now let's go into what we disagree on. And we spend much less time talking about what we disagree on because, like you said, at the end of the day, there's far more that we agree on, but the media plays into all these cultural wars and all these catchy, you know, buzzwords, and it's about increasing your followers on Twitter rather than actually advocating for good policy. I think we just need to show up, and I think the Democratic Party has done a piss-poor job um, of reaching out to these folks in rural communities, and they've kind of just written off folks and said, oh, well, that, you know, that's a plus 20... Uh, Trump this talk to those folks you do, or you're going to continue to bleed it red. And I hope yeah. that that's what my campaign can step in and do. All
1: right. Uh, I, I, I feel you on all of that. Uh, and yeah, remember there are constituents, not fans. That's what I, uh, Lauren Boebert and I have had words over that, but she, <laughs> I, she usually runs away from me in Congress. I don't know why I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, so millennial, the last question I got to ask Beatles or stones, stones all the way (laughs) rock and roll Yeah, absolutely (laughs) there you go well listen john i appreciate you being on the on the show and i would love to have you back and and as we uh follow your campaign and um i'm particularly interested in and uh how it goes in in colorado as we get closer and closer to election day so uh thanks for joining us i hope you'll join us again the name of the show is oh anything you want to plug john go ahead right now it's your all yours The only thing that I want to
2: ask is for everybody who listened to this and felt inspired or is inspired to help defeat Lauren Boebert, please go to my website, pedoraforcongress.com. You can sign up for our email program, learn more about our campaign, what we've been doing on the ground here in Colorado, how we plan to flip this historic district, uh, how we plan to flip the U.S. House majority and restore sanity in Washington. And I'm not asking for any money, but I'm asking for your support. Sign up, stay engaged and learn how you can help.
1: You got 30 seconds. What's your rant on Lauren Boebert?
2: Lauren Boebert is a disingenuous carpetbagger. She's a, an extremist who doesn't care about the American people that she plans to represent. She's a grifter. She doesn't represent millennials at all. She's a toxic individual. I could go on and on, Brian, and I forget even some of the other things that I just mentioned about her, but I would love to keep adding
1: on. There you go. And the name of this show is Just Ask the Question wherever fine podcasts are sold. The name of the book is Free the Press. We'll talk about that sometime in its third printing. And of course, you can catch me on Salon every week. So once again, thanks for joining us. I'm Brian Carum, and we'll catch you next time.